Seltzer's podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am very depressed. And with me this week is Greek expert Daniel Rye. Yeah. We're so proud of you. English. Boy, English expert. What does that mean? The people. Oh. Is that really what it means? Daniel? Yeah. I didn't know it had a meeting. I thought it was just like a hooray kind of thing. No, it's it's, it's the people or the public. Yeah. Huh. Oh, nice. What language is that? Greek. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> English expert Scott Reed. Yay. That's true. I take I take full ownership of that. Hebrew expert. <laughs> I, I'm like so much thinking about your last name, I almost just said like Aiden. <laughs> Aaron Alanis. Yes. What do you know, Bill? <laughs> well, Spanish, Spanish expert, yeah. Bill Not an expert, Muffin Calvin. Bill Muffin. Yeah. Guillermo. Woo. It has been quite a week. Aaron, would you mind uh, praying for us to kick us off? Yes. All right. Let's go to God. Father God, I just thank you for today. I thank you that we're able to just gather together with all these uh, amazing people around this table. Um, just talk about you, talk about life, talk about things that we can in this Bloomingdale Church podcast. In your name, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 It is a seasonal depression kind of day. It is very gloomy outside. True. It is and, gloomy. Uh, I got a it's lot of... warm, though. It's warm. I got a lot of pressure in my forehead. I'm not feeling it today. Mm. Scott, give some would-you-rathers. All right. I don't have a plan. There's five of us. There I think five that's going to be now. today's show. It's going to be a long great. time. There's been five of us in a long time. Um, all right. I think we're just going to do a lightning round around Ooh, the table. All right. Answer quickly. We'll move on to the next one. We're going to do two circuit, circuits mm-hmm. of the table. Okay. Uh, Daniel, would you rather be stuck in a dark, warm place or a cold, light place? A cold, light place. Nice. Mm. Max, would you rather, as a man, grow pink body hair and have a bald head or have no body hair at all and have a full head of pink hair? I'll go no body hair at all. All right. Bill, would you rather have flood water rise up to five five feet in your home <laughs> or have the mud from a mudslide rise up to one foot? Oh, cool. Sorry, wow. that's a tough one. Yeah. I'll take the water. <laughs> all right. Nice. Uh Aaron, would you rather sleep next to an incredibly light sleeper, even minor noises or movements will wake them, or next to someone who hogs the covers? Oof. Someone who hogs the covers. I don't want to be mm. woken up in the middle of the night all the mm-hmm. time. Mm. Would I rather look healthy and strong but actually be extremely weak such that most lifting physical labor and some sports are humiliating for me <laughs> or look really unhealthy but actually be in tip-top shape? Mm. Mm. I think I'll go with the second one. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Leah. I like the second <laughs> Sorry. one. Sorry. I look really unhealthy well, You can pick on. her up and carry her everywhere. Yeah. She won't mind. Uh, Daniel, would you rather be too naive or too cynical? Too cynical. Whoa. Interesting. Uh, Max, would you rather I'm sorry. <laughs> do without supermarkets or do without convenience stores and fast food restaurants? Uh, I'll do without convenience stores and fast food restaurants. I'll get a new job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, That's would you rather always be itchy or always feel like you have to pee? Oh, golly. <sighs> Part of that's getting older. (laughs) I suppose always having to pee because you could probably learn how to just say this is a false alarm. Hmm. Man, that's rough either way. That is Mm -hmm. brutal. I I feel like I'm my most productive when I have to pee. 
because I'm just like typing so fast and like my brain's going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Aaron, would you rather have to shed your body skin once a year, which takes a week, <laughs> without going into hiding, or hibernate Ooh. for one month every year and have to explain your absence to people? <laughs> question. I, I like that. Man. No question. That is a really good question. I feel like you I don't know because if you shed, people are gonna look at you and they're gonna be like, "This guy looks weird." Mm. That'd be pretty disgusting. I'll do hibernating for a month. Mm. That, should, that should be good. Wait, Daniel, what? You yeah. Should, okay. Yeah, you'd hibernate. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Would I rather be perceived as intelligent or street smart, but not both? Um, Ooh. I think if it's perception, mm-hmm. I'll go with street smart. Because mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm not intelligent. Because I feel like if you're perceived mm-hmm. like deliberately not as street smart, then you're like more likely to get taken advantage of. Mm. Yeah. Or yeah. like people yeah. will try to take advantage of you. And that would get old. Yeah. It would get old. And or hurt if you get mugged. <laughs> but it could be. <laughs> that guy's not street smart. <laughs> that could be your opportunity to turn around on him. It's just like an endless source of opportunities to. Now you're the scammer. People come to you. True. Uh-huh. Although the benefit of people not perceiving you as intelligent is that they'll just default to explaining things to you, so you uh-huh. never have to ask. So <laughs> 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 most of the time you'll just, okay, I understood that, but thank you. But then when you don't understand, it's like, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's just the way everyone treats me all the time. <laughs> um, I think I mentioned like a couple months ago that I started this thing where every time I got a scam caller, I would just ask them if I could pray with them. Yeah. And I did that twice in the same day, and then I didn't get a scam call for like a month and a half. Um, wow, that which, must be a way to get rid of them. Apparently, I just got my first scam call in a long time today, and I was like, I forgot I was going to do like this thing. So I answer it, and uh, and they're like, hello, we have an illegal thing on your SSN. If you're interested, uh, please stay on the line. And I say, okay. And then there's like a two-second pause, and then it hangs up. And I'm like, I can't even... <laughs> can't even get through to a person on a scam call, <laughs> even if I try and go along with it. I'm like, oh, no, it's him again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I recognize that voice. <laughs> this is the chase guy. Uh, Aaron, I'm sorry to put you on the spot again. Can you give us a number between one and a thousand and one? Ooh. Yeah. 836. 836. Uh, this, of Thanks. course, comes to us from 1001 Things You Always Want to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask. Uh, by J. Stephen Lang, who in his bio on Amazon.com says very explicitly that his favorite activity is Trivial Pursuit, which explains where a lot of this comes from. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, can you give me that number again? 836. 836. Yes. I think that was it. Yeah, that was, that was yeah, it. That was Perfect. <laughs> I was like, if it wasn't, I'm going to hear it when I edit this show. Uh, 836 comes from Music and Art. And is, quote, by the rivers of Babylon from uh, Psalm 137 is a song of people in exile lamenting being away from their homeland, Jerusalem. And somehow this sad song of separation became popular when set to music. In recent years, it has been recorded in one form or another by Don McLean. Uh, Linda Ronstad, Boney M, and others as the song On the Willows. uh, As the song On the Willows, it was part of the musical Godspell. Um, This is something that gets brought up every once in a while on this show, uh, but this is a decent opportunity to mention like when scriptures end up in popular culture. Do you consider that like a win or do you consider that like obnoxious? Like you're like, you're taking this out of context or like, you know, 
Uh, I obviously am a bit of a curmudgeon, so I think I end up taking the op, you know, the, the, the pessimistic side. Daniel, you said you'd prefer to be pessimistic than naive. Is that the side of the fence you come down on? No, I think it's a cool opportunity. <clears throat> Go on. Because then you really just like this idea that scripture is being like said mm-hmm. in in society, like that could end up being used in a positive light. And then another like just a cool thing in general is sometimes it's like Christian pop songs that have scripture in them that some people just just kind of tune out as like, oh, it's good music. Yeah. Then when we talk about that scripture in, in church or in like youth group, then they're like, oh, that's in the Bible. Mm. And then they're able to like remember that more because then it's connected to a song. Hmm. So I think it's a cool opportunity, though I do sometimes, I wonder <laughs> if they really did take that like completely out of context and it's not meaning what it's supposed to. Mm. But mm-hmm. there is a danger of it, but there's also a positive of it as well. Yeah. I'm sitting on the fence. <laughs> right in there. <laughs> Bill? I think it's a positive. Scripture and music. Martin Luther was one of the big innovators for it. Hmm. Whatever your music is, no matter what your doctrinal statement is, it's what your music says. Because mm-hmm. that's what everybody's remembering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you're getting the repetition factor Week after week. Yeah. So music is extremely powerful. And Dan Bailey, a music director here about 10 years ago, said, Christianity is really the only religion that sings. Hmm. I thought, is that really true? I mean, hmm. Um, I, I know some other religions, they chant, but but Christians have so much to sing about. And there's so right. much joy in Christianity. It makes sense that we're the hmm. singing people of the world. Hmm. What do you guys think? Scripture showing up in pop culture, even like movies and like in, uh, oh, what's the, in Pulp Fiction, J- uh, Samuel L. Jackson quotes a fake verse from Ezekiel and uh, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino just like wrote like this little speech um, and that gets, you know, cited as being from Ezekiel. So that's a little bit different. But like Aaron Scott, like when things, when scripture shows up in pop culture, I think this isn't exactly the same either. Uh, I think overall it's positive. I think um, to Daniel's point, like it, it opens the doors for, for conversations where those conversations aren't happening, then it can be more negative. And like a good example that I think of is this isn't quite scripture, but it's certainly heavily references scripture is a song hallelujah by Leonard Cohen, right? which like, I think people can just, Mm. here's the danger is that, Oh, they hear hallelujah. And they hear like little bits that like sound that are like kind of pulled from scriptural ideas. Yeah. And then like, Oh, this is like a Christian song. (laughs) And then they're like, you know, let's sing it in church or like, let's do whatever. Or like, Oh, this, I just worship through the song. And it's like, well, it's not what the song is about, even at all. Um, so I think that's like one of the dangerous sides of it is like mm. if if those conversations aren't being ha- aren't happening, because yeah. like that would be a really great opportunity for someone who as intentional as Daniel to be like, hey, like actually, like mm. let's look at what the song is actually about, and and this is actually kind of a misuse of of whatever. Yeah. Um, but again, it's kind of on the presupposition that those conversations actually happen. Yeah. I think if they don't happen, there's room for uh, for it to kind of start being uh, more destructive because it it 
leads people to think that certain themes or certain ideas mm-hmm. are worshipful or are biblical when really it's like, no, this is just using. And like, I, don't, I, I think this is what you're asking about. So I do want to be clear. Yeah. Like, I'm not referring to Christian music that uses scripture, Correct. Yeah. but yeah, non-Christian music that mm-hmm. uses scripture mm-hmm. or whatever, non-Christian, whatever that uses scripture. Yeah. 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 I think that's like, you know, then people can start to associate certain themes or ideas or mm-hmm. stuff that are totally a or anti-biblical mm-hmm. uh, with with the Bible and, and you know. Yeah. So that's like, I think that's the risk. But I do think that um, it does open up a lot of really great doors. And uh, and if, if it's like a really great scripture, you know, because I think, I think a lot of the time when that happens, like it's, you know, so, sort of like incidental scriptures, like it's not something that's like super core doctrinally to the scriptures sure. or to the Christian faith. But if it is, then like that's getting its way into people's, mm-hmm. into people's minds and, and hearts. And, mm-hmm. and I, God could use that. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah. I was going to say, um, like, I don't find a fault in it. I'm thinking something that comes to my mind. That's like one of like the major instances in which this happened is like when Kanye West releases mm. Jesus's King album. Yeah. And like that was like kind of like controversial to a lot of people because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, you know who Kanye West is, but then like he's mm-hmm. professing to be a Christian and then he releases an album that's solely um, like full of just like scripture and a lot of good like doctrinal mm-hmm. like statements in it. Yeah. And you know, one thing that he, like, hit on was, like, that, that the reason why I thought it was, like, so cool is because he said, well, he named the album Jesus is King, and he's getting all these people, because his platform is huge, and it's, sure. not, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not towards, like, a Christian audience. He's getting all these people who would not confess Jesus is King to say it, right, <laughs> by, by, by speaking the album cover. So, um, But, like, one of the things, it is easy to kind of, like, cast, like, judgment and, like, you know, be cautious of things like that. And yeah. even one of the things that one of his lines and his songs is like, what have you been hearing from the Christians? Hmm. And he's like referring mm-hmm. to like about himself, like, you know, what have you been hearing from them about me? And he says like, they'll be the first ones to judge me. And so it's like true. Like, you know, we gotta, yeah. you know, who we to, it's not to judge like if he's saved or not, but I took it as a time to like pray for Kanye and hmm. pray that his salvation yeah. is genuine. And, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan professed a faith in Christ in the 70s. And then you didn't hear much about that for a long time. But last week, my son-in-law and daughter went to a Bob Dylan concert in Louisville. And he had songs that were very Christian as Hmm. part of his Hmm. Hmm. concert. And they were all fired up. And Jonathan is just really confident that Bob Dylan is a devout believer and that his music shows that. And I have no reason to disagree with Jonathan. Jonathan's really up on that stuff. He mm. loves it. Yeah. Here they go into a concert with an 80 year old man though. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Um, something you said earlier, Bill, reminded me of uh, something I read in Isaiah uh, today. Isaiah thirty thirty um, references the fact that God's voice will join His people in singing, um, mm-hmm. and that's such an interesting idea of like you know you saying that you know Christians are the ones who who sing. Um, is this idea that music is is from God and and He enjoys you know participating in music, mm-hmm. right? Um, and He's honored by the music that we sing about Him. Um, but he invented music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty creative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Today. God plays the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> the, the accordion is a product of the fall, Bill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he knows how to play it. <laughs> now that's a discussion. Uh, today, during staff meeting, we went through Psalm 40. And verse three says, he put a new song in my mouth, Hmm. a song of praise to our God. And like, Hmm. that's another thing about the power of music is there's been so many times when I've gone to like sing a song where I'm just like, not, not in the right headspace Hmm. or not even like wanting to necessarily take this time to praise God. But then he like uses it Hmm. and like kind of corrects my heart. And even sometimes when, like, there's, like, a just instrumentals and just, like, just kind of saying new new song, like, new lyrics and whatever, yeah. whatever pops in my mind. And those moments are always, like, super impactful. Mm-hmm. Like, this singing, this music that probably doesn't sound too great coming out of my mouth. <laughs> um, that is... Um, I don't know, just like worshiping God and like mm-hmm. that new song that he put in, yeah. mouth, in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. And it's like Bill had that joke that he said, you know, the little kid who's like, God gave me this voice and he's got to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Final thoughts before we move on? Any fans of Godspell? Hmm. Not at I, all. Oh, I liked Godspell. Oh, okay. Because there was so much joy in it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, yes, this makes a lot of sense. It it would be joyful to be around Jesus all day long. Mm-hmm. Th- this makes way more sense than the scenes of everybody's downcast and right. Jesus is serious. And think, mm. That would get really old. That would not fly as a lifestyle. And it, it kind of like... Um, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's, he's referring to John the Baptist and he, and he says, you know, I sent you a funeral and you didn't cry. I played you a funeral dirge and you didn't cry. And I, I played you a wedding song and you didn't laugh dance. or you yeah. didn't dance. And it's like John the Baptist is the funeral and he's the wedding, mm. um, is like the way that I see that. And, um, absolutely. I think that's something that the chosen really captures really well. Mm-hmm. The, the TV show, the chosen is just like, it's a really funny show and Jesus like, is cracking jokes pretty regularly. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a sense of humor, mm-hmm. but you see his humor reading the scriptures. It's just that most of us have been tainted with, Oh no, this is serious. There's not, mm. but, but there's humor there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when he says the words, and you are worth far more than birds. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Final thoughts on birds? <laughs> there's a lot of them. There's a, there's a lot of them, but we're worth more. Take that. Amen. It's time for Sermon Roundup. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? You. 
He's looking for a yeah. I'm looking for a yeah. Yeah. Bill's doing the. We're yeehaw. missing Dan Marcello. We're man. missing Dan Marcello. They're over. always gonna be sad. You are gonna have sad yeehaws? So look to me, if, yeah, because Dan's not here. So if oh. you want a sad yeehaw, look to me. Mm. Well, if you want a happy yeehaw, look Aaron to Bill. From Texas. If you want Aaron, a yeehaw, can that you sits yeehaw? Firmly on the fence. <laughs> I'm gonna, That's right. We, we got this. This is your moment. Here. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. We'll do take two. It's time for Sermon Roundup. Yeehaw. Ooh, I like that. That kind of like Dan. That's, uh, the first He's time I, still with us. When, I, when Aaron filled in for me one week, I was editing the show, and there were a couple times you started sentences. I was like, that sounds like my voice. It was like really that's, creepy. So. I, I remember that's what that. Scott said. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. you got the chameleon voice thing going on here. Yeah. Um, last week, I, in our discussion, I asked where Jesus comes out in the story of Joseph, and Scott said to find out, we have to listen to Bill and Aaron sermon that just happened uh, this last weekend. Um, so to kick us off with Sermon Roundup, I'm going to re-ask the question, Aaron, where does Jesus show up in the story of Joseph? It sounds like it's like only one or two places. <laughs> <laughs> he shows up everywhere in the book of Joseph. Me and Bill targeted like, what would you say, like 10 points maybe? Yeah. About like 10 points of how uh, Joseph's story was very much so a glimpse mm. of who Jesus would be mm. in the Bible and who he would come to be as our Savior and Redeemer. Mm. So we talked about how uh, Joseph was the beloved son, um, Jesus was a beloved son, how he was a suffering servant like Jesus, mm. how he later became the exalted sovereign. And then the fourth point was, what was it, Bill? Seeking Savior. The seeking Savior. Mm. And so... Um, pretty much his whole life just, it, it really does show like a glimpse of Jesus. Mm. But I like the point you made in your sermon about the betrayer. So why don't you just, I, I think that is just so exact. It's oh, yeah. almost creepy. Mm. One of the ones, yeah, it was kind of like, it was crazy, kind of like creepy even. Yeah, like Bill said. So I, I brought up the point that, Jesus, that Joseph and Jesus suffered betrayal mm-hmm. and how Joseph was betrayed by his brothers who sold him to some Ishmaelites that were making their way down to Egypt, yeah. and he sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And and then I brought up, like, to, to well, the So what was that brother's name? It was yeah. The, the yeah. brother's name was Judah, the mm-hmm. one whose idea was to sell Joseph. Okay. And then the New Testament name for Judah is Judas, which mm-hmm. is the very same name of the man who hundreds of, year late, hundreds of years later yeah. would come to betray Jesus and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. So <laughs> it's just crazy how... Mm. Yeah, that just like lines up. They're both sold for silver. Yeah, it's the same name of the person who betrayed them. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Just like a lot of and both given the same name: Joseph, yeah. Zaphnath, Panea, Savior of the world. Right. Jesus is Savior of the world. Hmm. Wow. What what a thing for Pharaoh. Yeah. To take him from prison to. Your new name is Savior of the World. That just sounds so <laughs> insane. Yeah. In fact, really, who who would you ever say is Savior of the World other than Jesus Christ? It's right. just like, mm, that's way, way over the top here. Mm-hmm. Nobody is Savior of the World. Hmm. Hmm. So what is the value of, of seeing these connections, right? What is the value to us, um, you know, reading the Bible today of like seeing these, these really direct parallels between like Jesus and Joseph or like into other places in the Bible? I think Bill, Bill hit it on in his sermon, how you introduced um, 
like Jesus, the Jesus was speaking about me. These scriptures speak about. Oh me. yes, John five thirty nine. Hmm. You study the scriptures because you believe that in them you find eternal life, and these are the scriptures that testify of me. Hmm. So I love running across this in the Old Testament because the Old Testament can be tedious. Yeah. And to see Jesus jump out at you from the pages, it's like, wow, this is awesome. Hmm. And it, it's, uh-huh. it also gives so much credibility to the supernatural character of the Bible that here, we'll use Joseph again, here is a man being written of over a thousand years before Jesus will be born. And Moses could not just say, you know what I think I'm going to do here? So I'm gonna <laughs> no, no, no. This is way, way, way too complicated. Not even Shakespeare can pull this off. So you think, here is a man who's not really a professional writer. Mm-hmm. He's simply being told of God, I'm inspiring you to write. Now write about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And when he gets to Jacob and Joseph, you begin to see, wait a minute, what he's really writing about mm-hmm. isn't the history of this man, Joseph. He's more importantly showing us who Jesus is going to be. Mm-hmm. Going back to the value of seeing these connections between different parts of Scripture, Daniel, you looked something up. Um, I did look something up. Um but that's not what I'll bring up now. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> 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 it was a red herring. But I, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this already, but this um, this past Tuesday, um, the youth group we were going through, we're in Leviticus. Okay. We read Leviticus 19, which is ancient Jewish law code on <laughs> sacrificial, like, Processes. That's a crazy place for a youth group to be reading. Yeah, through. We, were, we, were, we, were, we were reading Leviticus 19. Mm-hmm. And it, oh, what about 18? Read 18? Ooh. Not, not last night. Stuff like, you know, don't have sex with an animal, that oh. whole chapter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who does this stuff? That makes so, the parents sit up. So we read this purification, <laughs> this purification ritual. Hmm. And then one thing that I'm like trying to teach some of our students is that most of these laws are tied to a story. Hmm. Like in Leviticus, later on um, in chapter 21, is when Moses has to rise the serpent. Yeah. Uh, because everybody is getting bitten by these snakes because they were going against what God said mm-hmm. and they were made unclean because they were dying from this poison. Mm-hmm. You look at this snake and they're saved, they're healed, they're made clean. Yeah. Um, and then. That just before John three sixteen, mm-hmm. Jesus mentions that, yeah. and this tracing this idea of like this purification ritual. How does Jesus fulfill that? Being able to literally trace it mm-hmm. and see Jesus bringing it up. Yeah. So that's like the things that, that get me excited is when you're able to see something and something that people read as something really boring. Mm-hmm. These and kind of gross on yeah. how to like clean out these animals and sacrifice them. Um, but it's linked to this idea of the one who is perfectly clean, the perfect priest who is able to then um, be our intercessor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was that was just really cool um, being able to practice that with the youth group reading Leviticus. Mm. 
connecting it to Jesus. Yeah. So that's where I think the value is for reading the Old Testament, because then we're able to see all these connections that God has been working on and like doing throughout his people. Hmm. Scott? What's your question? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to kind of along the lines of what Daniel's saying, like how these similarities help us see God more clearly, right? Because seeing them within the Bible, like tells us something about the Bible of, you know, how cohesive it is and how it points to him, but like in practical terms, right? How seeing those connections makes God more visible to us. Mm -hmm. I think we we look at the Bible now from 2,000 years removed from the, the last book being written, and we can see it in its entirety. Um, mm-hmm. And so we look to Joseph, and we can say, oh, this is where he's like Jesus. Oh, this is where he's like Jesus. Oh, this is where he's like Jesus, which is good mm-hmm. because the story of Joseph is pointing to Jesus. And yet the story of Joseph is also the life of a person that would be as cohesive of a story as any person's life story would be, Mm. even if Jesus had never come. And so when Jesus came, those who had eyes to see would not say, oh, Joseph was like Jesus. They would say, this is like Joseph. Mm. Um, just like when Jesus on the cross said, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, the religious teachers there wouldn't have said like, oh, this was pointing to Jesus. They would have said like, oh, Jesus is pointing to that. Uh, and the reason that I kind of turn that on its head a little bit is because I, I think the significance of it is that, um, as Jesus lives out his life, we see these touch points of similarity, which then bring so much more certainty and significance to the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we can begin to see that he's not just a person. He's not Mm. just, because we believe that he's God. And so we can say Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, this pointed to him and it did. But for those of who didn't know whether or not he was God or who didn't believe he was God, Mm -hmm. they, if they looked at his life as he was living it out, hearing these things he's saying, seeing the things he's doing, what they'll see is that all of these touch points from the Old Testament start to mm-hmm. appear in the life of this one person, and it really becomes uh, much more difficult to refute that's, that God is doing something. Mm. Um, and so as you see, you know, as a, as a Pharisee sits down, not that, they, not that many of them probably did, but if they were to sit down and, or if they already knew about it, actually even the ones that, that Judas sold him out to, you know, like if any of them stopped... For a second, they were like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't, this seems really familiar. Um, you know, it, it enlightens them to the reality of what's happening. Hmm. Um, so, like, it, mm-hmm. we, we're coming at it from a, we don't need to be convinced that Jesus is anything other than, you know, a person. Yeah. But for those who are not in that camp, yeah. of which there are and have been many, all of these things, these types, these foreshadowings, these prophecies, give a great weight to the, to the life of Jesus. I, I like the one you pointed out, Scott, Psalm 22, because I think Jesus is witnessing one more time mm-hmm. to the Pharisees, the scribes, mm-hmm. the religious leaders who are taunting him. And they begin, they all know this Psalm and they sing it at the synagogue mm-hmm. This is real familiar. And now 
they hopefully start running the rest of the words of that psalm through their mm-hmm. mind and they think, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I'm seeing this psalm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm surrounded by dogs. Yeah. The, the Gentiles are considered the dogs, so the Romans are the yeah. dogs surrounding the cross. And all of these prophecies in that Psalm 22 should be jumping to life. Mm-hmm. And you hope it did. You know, that there were people saying, wow, I, I got to turn to Jesus because of this. Mm. There were a lot of Jewish converts in the book of Acts. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them, many of them in Acts chapter 6, it speaks, and many priests turned mm. to belief. You think, hmm, maybe it was just the piling up of more and more evidence. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the like this full presentation of all that evidence, right? Rather than just mm-hmm. like the bits that they'd heard or things like that, but really hearing it like laid out. Um by the disciples in, in Acts. Um, I want to pivot into uh, sort of a, a quick question um, that I think is relevant to, to all of you guys um, based on what I know about you. Uh, and that is um, uh, last week, Bill, and Bill, you mentioned that you and Aaron, um, some of these points sort of came from a, a condensing of a different uh, message, like a different thing that you had heard, right? Yes. Who was that? Adrian Rogers, he was a great Southern Baptist preacher in the late 20th century. He died in 2005, but the guy could flat out preach. It was so good that we're just shaking our heads like, nobody can be this good. I mean, this <laughs> good. And he was an older man when he was doing that. He looked like he was about 70, 75 when he was preaching that sermon. Mm-hmm. But he had all those verses memorized. I mean, it was just rolling off his tongue. Yeah. Very powerful, really powerful. So we watched that and thought, let's use this stuff. This Mm. is just great. Mm. Where did you find him? YouTube. Just YouTube? Yeah. So walk me through like the research process of a sermon generally, but also like through this specific one. Um, Because I'm curious about like how you get involved with, with this YouTube video, Daniel Every time that you've been on, you always reference like, oh, I was reading this and I was reading this. And like when I lived with you, like you love to read books. And like, you know, Scott Bill is also a famously, uh, we had a whole segment for like <laughs> a running thing of like things that he had read lately. Um, and Scott, you're the same way. Like, you know, where do you guys find your sources? Like when it comes to researching, you know, passage of the Bible or like trying to get more of these like in-depth insights like, where do you guys go to when it comes to, to finding those sources? The main thing I do is meditate on the passage. Mm-hmm. Now, this was harder to meditate on because it was chapter 37 to 50. Yeah. So that, that was out. I wasn't going to be able to memorize and recite that passage. It's too mm-hmm. long. So, honestly, this sermon was almost... 100% unique compared to other times. Mm. Early on, we watched that video of Adrian Rogers. We said, this is what we want. We're not going to preach 46 minutes. We need to get them closer to 20, 25. And so we had to lop a lot of things off. Mm-hmm. 
he went into tremendous detail and he he did some things that they were great but they would just add more time to the sermon hmm. so i didn't really do what i normally do i didn't read commentaries this time i read the passage through very carefully and would write notes to myself while i was doing it hmm. what did you do aaron so, yeah, a lot of it in the beginning was just meditating on God's word, trying to see, you know, yeah, what do you what do you want to highlight mm. to the congregation here at Bloomingdale Church? What do you want to speak to them? And then, but yeah, like Bill said, we talked about this on Monday. I was like, you know, this is very much different than any other mm. sermon that I've had to prepare for because usually when I like prepare for a sermon. You do like like four or five verses at a time, but mm-hmm. this like the foundation series is pretty unique because you're doing you're covering like multiple chapters yeah. at once, and so you're fitting in like ten chapters of one guy, and you're like, oh, you know, how am I going to get this flowing? What am I going to say about it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think ours is pretty cool because we you know we did how you see Jesus, not so much like, and we did like show. Um, like the whole story of Joseph pretty much so and wrapped it in, but just mm-hmm. tying it to see how you see Jesus. But yeah, I didn't do much commentaries this time. I feel like we got a lot out of it from just what Adrian Rogers um, mm-hmm. talked about. We did our own unique little twist into it. So, And a lot, of, a lot of those like connections were just text to text, you know, that yeah. you, were, you know, yep. bringing so. in was... For sure. And it was cool. Yeah, that was cool too. Cause I think you said it's called like a typology, seeing mm-hmm. like the connection mm-hmm. the connection points between the two. So it's like pretty much like just a reflecting off of each other. Yeah. This is Joseph. Well, this is Jesus. Yeah. This is Joseph. This is Jesus. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> For me, the last sermon I worked on was with Scott, <laughs> which is kind of this cool little like table thing. Like you guys did a sermon, we did mm-hmm. a sermon. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, I was aware that I w- was going to be preaching on the story of Isaac. So like, since I'm not preaching every week, I like a couple months out started just like reading it and being familiar with it. And then as I went on, like, my normal, just kind of, like, just taking in, listening to podcasts, reading, and, like, just normally doing that, then eventually, like, if I have that passage in the back of my mind, then I'm, like, able to, like, oh, this, like, connects to that in a really cool way. Hmm. Um, So that constant, like kind of like build up of resources yeah, and then being able to, Oh yes, here, here and here, like pulling those books off the shelf and being able to connect them. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also have the Logos Bible software, um, which is super helpful. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the package that I have has like a couple commentary sets like digital digitally. So then I was able to like pull those up and then just like read the passage kind of put my own notes and then whenever there were like moments of question that I had, then I would like go and see what other, like v- a variety of people said about yeah. those different things to see like how they like connect, what it like relates to it and just taking notes and just like diving deep. And that's like the first thing that like I fell in love with when it came to like preparing like a mm-hmm. message or whatever, or, like a lesson 
back when my youth pastor like had me help out like I remember just like diving deep and just like wanting to learn more, like reading what other people said, seeing how it connected to what I'm seeing and reading, and hmm. and the most important part, definitely prayer. <laughs> yeah. hmm. But I'm interested to hear what Scott does because mm-hmm. you got a unique style, but I love it. I just love it when you preach. Uh, I'm interested to hear what Scott does too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been trying to figure it out. Uh, I think I realized recently, like in the last like week or two, that something that I really enjoy and I think I'm really good at is making connections between ideas. Hmm. Um, and I think I can see that through a lot of other like strengths in my life. I'm like, Oh, like that's a way that this manifests itself. So I really love making connections. I love mm-hmm. making the connections, um, between mm-hmm. passages in the scripture, um, and between ideas. And so, and between conversations that I'm having in Bible studies and things that I'm reading. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, pre- I'm preparing two sermons right now and they were kind of different. The first one, which is for a week from this weekend, um, is on, it's really just on Genesis, well, kind of on, it's not on a specific passage, it's on Genesis 3, uh, it's like 15, I think. Genesis 3, yeah, Genesis 3, 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but also like kind of on the entirety of the Old Testament. So that's like a really fun balance to strike. So like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I really need to figure this out. And, uh, but I didn't really know exactly how to start. So that one, I was just kind of meditating on it and praying about it. And God kind of gave me a couple of ideas and then he gave me a couple more ideas. And I'm like, all right. And then I structured the ideas and I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and uh, then this one, the other one, which I just started working on more this week, is on Luke 1, 5 to 25. And so what I did with that one was I read the passage, and then I reread the passage, and I wrote down all of my thoughts of, okay, well, I could talk about this, or I might explain that, or whatever. And then I read Matthew Henry's commentary on it, which was enormous. It took me like an hour, because <laughs> it was like... It's like reading like the Bible in terms of, of the amount of text he crams on a pages, but it's about 30% bigger in terms of the size of the pages and maybe like a little bit denser because none of it's poetry. And it's just like <laughs> five like full pages of like f- two columns. per. It was so much. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that, um, I don't even know how much I actually got out of that. But by the end of that, <laughs> I, I kind of had like the, the overarching idea. Mm. And so then what I did... After that was I just put it into kind of like an outline and pulled in some other passages. I don't know if I'm answering your question. <laughs> yeah, you are. You yeah. are? Yeah. So Bill is my thermometer as to because he was the one who was most excited about your answer. So he's my thermometer yeah. for how well you're answering. <laughs> yeah. He seems like a seven. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask this last question. His sermons are way higher than a seven. Well, that's for sure. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Mostly. And you think of <laughs> most of the preaching done over the last few thousand years, they didn't have commentaries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's only since a printing press came out. Mm-hmm. I love black preaching. It okay. is really good. When you get a, a man that's really loving the Lord and he's meditating on the scriptures, mm-hmm. just to listen to a black 
pastor read the scriptures, mm-hmm. he will usually make a comment each verse as he goes along, mm-hmm. and it's enthusiastic, and then he can relate it to life, mm-hmm. honestly, way better than most white preachers mm-hmm. will ever dream of doing it. And, mm-hmm. and then it helps, too, that the audience is participating, and yep. that really encourages a pastor that they're listening and they're encouraging mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. The black preaching experience is awesome. If you ever get a chance, you should just grab it because mm-hmm. you're, you're not really getting the full experience with, say, Tony Evans on WMBI. Sure. I think they maybe either sanitize it or something, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's probably a lot different when it's right in his church. Mm-hmm. Quick shout out, um, Pastor Charlie Dates. He's in um, a Baptist church in South Chicago. He's a TED's alum and is teaching there mm-hmm. as well, doing preaching classes at TED's and Wheaton, okay. both right now. And like, he's like described just to a T, and it is really encouraging. Wow, because um, it's just like somebody seeing somebody excited about the scriptures. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like makes you more excited about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah, fun. Yeah, also. I really like listening to some of Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, sermons that you can listen to on like mm. YouTube and stuff, like old recordings. Yeah. So mm. those are some resource resource plug <laughs> right there. <laughs> when I, um, I really enjoyed you two getting excited this weekend, and mm-hmm. and you know when it came to like just the connections and uh, really loving like the scripture, like Daniel was saying, of like being excited about it. Um, I think that was amazing. Uh, it's time for listener mail. Scott, will you please ring the listener mail bell? Yeah, one second. I got to get the little thing to ring it with. Right. Well, it comes in a little case. <laughs> That's pretty good. That is pretty good. That's I, almost like a dinner bell. I learned of. that last week. That I can do that. <laughs> the listener mail bell. bell. <laughs> um, listener mail today comes from uh, Leah Reed, our very oh, own oh, uh, friend of the show. Um, and she's asking about First Timothy 2, 9 through 15, which I'll read for us. Uh, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adoring themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Uh, it is confusing. <laughs> yes, Bill. Thank you, Leah. Yeah. yeah, pick out the most controversial passage. I, I love that. I also like, when I printed it out, I was like, yeah, we're five guys. So it's already a swing and a miss. It's confusing. Uh, She says, uh, it's confusing to read as a woman, and I want to better understand if this was for these women of this specific church or if it's for all women for all time. I'm a big fan of those two ends of the spectrum. Uh, Also, how does a woman get saved through childbearing? Is that even what that means? Thanks, Leah Reed. Um, Thank you, Leah. Listeners, if you want to write into the show, you can uh, write into podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. with any questions, would you rather's trivia quizzes uh, or opportunities to give us the most controversial passage in the Bible? Um, <laughs> let me let me for feeder change. Let me throw out uh, an argument um, that I was once privy to 
um, while I was in college about specifically about the childbearing, um, verse 15, uh, where I think we are all saved through the childbearing of Jesus Christ, um, through the child that was born, uh, to Mary, um, especially coming right in after the, uh, Adam and Eve, him being the new Adam, um, and being saved through childbearing. But that's like something that I've always kind of just like held in the back of my mind as like an explanation, um, for that verse. Um, I like that explanation. That's good. Hmm. Because we, we don't want to pit childbearing against the cross of Jesus Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got another way of being saved now. <laughs> <laughs> Have a baby. Mm-hmm. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. That, mm. that mocks the cross. Yeah. I, I like your explanation. How often do you get asked about this passage? How many times in your career as a pastor has somebody brought this passage to you and said, like, what is this talking about? The teaching part, I think, comes up more. Mm. Mm. And so... I want to appeal to a book called Why Women by Lauren Cunningham and a PhD in Bible whose last name is Smith. And I'm not sure if it was James Smith or someone else. So Smith does the heavy exegetical lifting. Okay. And Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, talks about it at the boots on the ground level. Hmm. And... Smith says, I do not allow a woman to teach. He believes it should be translated, I do not allow that woman to teach or mm-hmm. preach. Mm-hmm. And he has a particular woman in mind, the Apostle Paul does. Mm. He's trying to keep that woman out of the pulpit because she's a troublemaker. I think, okay, that very well could be. Especially when you consider that it's real plain and First Corinthians, that women do prophesy, mm-hmm. which is another form of preaching, mm-hmm. and that they're to have their heads covered. And you don't ever want to believe that the Bible is contradicting itself. The Bible is deep stuff, and mm-hmm. it's layered. And to say it's contradicting itself is very superficial. Mm-hmm. So I really think there are women who are called to preach and called to teach. Hmm. One of them is now in heaven. Her name is Henrietta Mears. She's awesome. I mean, I'm looking forward to meeting Henrietta Mears when I get to heaven. Hmm. She came to the first Presbyterian, Hollywood Presbyterian Church, Hollywood, California, and they had 420 people in the church at the time she came. It was a strong Presbyterian church. Two and a half years later, they had 4,200 people. And it was because she ran the Sunday school and it just exploded. Think of that tenfold growth in two and a half years. But what I learned from reading this biography is Henrietta Mears was the preacher on Sunday nights. Hmm. And the professors at Fuller would say, she is the finest expositor of the scriptures in California. Hmm. She's the best. And she's doing it week after week after week. And the 
church is just growing by leaps and bounds through salvations. This isn't because people are leaving the first Baptist church to go to the Hollywood Presbyterian. Hmm. This is because people are getting saved left and right. So she's, she's one of tens of thousands of women who are gifted preachers. And that's why our, being part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, we have this angst. Our founder, A.B. Simpson, really believed in women as being in the forefront, mm-hmm. doing everything at church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see it in the pictures. There'll be A.B. Simpson, and there'll be like 10 men and maybe eight women, and they'll say, this is the board of trustees. And, mm-hmm. and you can see the CMA is founded on women mm-hmm. are to be set loose to serve. Mm-hmm. But then the CMA got warped by the fundamentalist movement, and we really took a step backwards and said, you know, we really don't want women to be preachers. We'll send them as missionaries, and they preach on the mission field. Mm -hmm. And this is the embarrassment. They plant churches on the mission field. They preach on the mission field. Then they come to the United States to tell us what they're doing. Well, we're really not allowed to have you in the pulpit because you're a woman. Mm think, what a crazy situation to put yourself in. Hmm. So now the CMA is trying to get to the place where are we going to ordain women? You know, because we've been honestly in the backwoods for about a hundred years with this, mm-hmm. not, not living up to our founder's vision and what the leading people who founded the denomination were doing. So it's it, it it's caused a lot of people to pull out their hair in the CMA hmm. because we're we're sending out a double message, but I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that women are gifted as teachers and gifted as preachers, and they're hmm. going to be doing it in the days to come. Hmm. I think the CMA is drawing a line here, and I I read Simpson's own words in his book Power from on High that. Where the scripture's drawing a line is not, are they gifted? It's drawing a line at, are they called of God Mm. to be the leader? Mm. And I think that's what the CMA is going to land on. They're going to ordain women. They will preach, but they will not be the head pastor, the leader. Mm. That's what I think is going to happen. Nobody knows for sure. But but we've got it in print as to what Simpson believed and yeah, and we've just got really a whole lot of well-educated seminary-trained women. How mm-hmm. do you say to them? Well, we're going to have this other guy who's not seminary-trained be the preacher, and mm-hmm. you sit and listen to him. What a what yeah. an aggravating thing to say to women. Yeah, I've, there are a couple of female professors up at Trinity that I feel like I've learned so much from them, yeah. not even being in their classrooms, but just like mm. having them come and speak at Mosaic or one of them, Dr. Harris, she, she wrote a grammar on Greek New Testament wow. and, um, and she's my like formation group leader mm. and I learned, I've learned so much from her and I think yeah, and, like, I've heard the stories of students who come in with, like, that view and just, like, 
dismiss what they say, what they have to say, even though they like so so knowledgeable and like God has like worked in their lives and it's just it is sometimes frustrating seeing like this twenty one year old guy thinking that he's better than this professor hmm. and how to like be able to preach this passage who she's able to read it in Greek fluently. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't always hold this view, hmm. but over the years, just watching life and seeing the fruit of people, hmm. yeah. it really has impacted me. Hmm. Aaron and Scott? Let's well, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I wish I could, I was trying to find it and I couldn't quite find what I wanted, but uh, one thing to bear in mind in relation to all of this stuff in Timothy uh, is if we look at 1 Timothy 1 3, Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. So Timothy's in Ephesus. Uh, that's really important mm-hmm. because in Ephesus was this really significant temple to Artemis. Um, hmm. Apparently, I just learned, not the Artemis, the huntress god of, of Greek mythology, but sort of a different mutation of the name. But anyway, um, what I wasn't quite able to find, but I've heard in, in the past, is this idea of all of the, all of the, the, well, priestesses being women, as priestesses tend to be, but all of the, you know, the ministers <laughs> in the temple of Artemis being women, uh, and that connecting to this passage in First mm-hmm. Timothy 2. I wish I could have found more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right now, but I wasn't. But I think that that could play a significant role. Um, I just don't have all the details on why. Mm. Um, let me say a loud amen to what Scott's saying. Mm-hmm. That Temple Artemis, or sometimes called the Temple Diana, that was the economic engine for a major city, mm. Ephesus. Pilgrims came from all over the Mediterranean region on a pilgrimage to come to this temple, and the temple is awful. I mean, this temple was total degradation. So that does color things a lot for for the Ephesian people, like, oh, we're going to go back to having women, Mm. you know, running the show in the temple. Um, And, I mean, I, I think it's impossible to overstate how much power that temple had over over the um, city of Ephesus. But we get a little glimpse of it in the book of Acts chapter 19 when Paul plants a church in Ephesus and the people begin pulling out all of their occult materials and burning them in a huge bonfire that was valued at 50,000 days of work. Right. So this is millions of dollars in our our terminology. Mm -hmm. And and so it's a cultic too that of course this this temple Diana was demonic. There's just mm-hmm. no other way to say it. But it was the financial um, engine, and we see that also in Acts 19 because the silversmiths riot. Right. And the reason why they riot is the church in Ephesus is so gigantic. Right. It, it's just it's. I have a guesstimate of it's about 100,000 people in the church mm-hmm. of Ephesus. And I base that on some things such as how much um, went up in flames with the occult and also that there's a plaque they found 
at the amphitheater that seated 20,000 and it said, the church meets here. Hmm. So how many times did they meet there? Did they meet there for two services, three, four, five? You know, hmm. Was it only on occasions? I mean, what? we don't know. Yeah. But man, if you're using a 20,000 seat amphitheater, you are not Bloomingdale Church. You are gargantuan. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing um, toward the end of that passage Mm -hmm. um, in 2 Timothy, um, starting in verse 14, said, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. And then it switches from like a singular she to if they continue in faith. Mm. We'd have to do word study on that. But seeing that Scott was saying that he was around Genesis 3.15, I'm wondering if there is a connection because he's mm-hmm. talking about Adam mm-hmm. and then the woman, Eve, and then saying the woman will be saved through childbearing. And the promise in Genesis 3.15 about the offspring mm-hmm. of Eve, and I'm wondering if there's potential connection there mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. of like why that phrase is there yeah. um, here. Mm. Great question, Leah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Keep what you're doing, Leah. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Discipling, there's Mm -hmm. nothing better. Mm -hmm. Final, Scott, you're still like looking down at your Bible. Oh, yeah. It's just, I think, um, if you think of the society, this picture that, that Bill has just painted of of a, of a incredibly powerful temple run by women. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of assume that the men did not have any, any or very much religious say or authority in this society, uh, in which the women were very, you know, promiscuous because this was really in many, a fertility goddess in, in many ways. Um, and then you read it with that idea verses eight to 12 kind of takes on a different, Things start to fall in place. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly Mm -hmm. with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Um, you know, the end is still kind of could be contentious, but uh, one of the things I was just reading that's interesting is he doesn't say a woman shall not. He says, I do not permit, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of a different idea and uh, potentially very much a, this is the culture that you're coming from. This is what you need to keep in mind. Like the women are not running the show here. And in fact, because this is such an ingrained thing in your culture, I would not permit a woman to teach. Hmm. Uh, or maybe as, as Bill said, it was a specific woman. I certainly don't know. Um, but when you read it with that lens, the way that he progresses through his ideas really starts to make sense. Um, and, and the connections that he makes between the men praying, the women dressing modestly, and then the, the women's role in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all kind of gets some degree of clarity, understanding the the temple culture that they were coming from. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, Paul certainly doesn't have problems with women doing, doing mm-hmm. ministry. I mean, he entrusted a letter to Phoebe mm-hmm. to go and share it. So, like, mm-hmm. I would... 
I would agree with and he Scott. Talks about Timothy's grandmother and his mother. Um, yeah. That's great. Well, and Priscilla and Aquila, and Priscilla's name comes up first yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So she was obviously the heavyweight of the twosome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions and would-you-rathers and trivia quizzes uh, and the heaviest of your twosome to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. That is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Daniel. Thank Thank you, Max. Scott. Take us, when you're done screwing your water bottle top back on, (laughs) take us home. You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Bill? Yeah? Your time has come. I need you to hype me up. All right. <laughs> Come on, Max. You can do this, man. Come yeah. on, baby. Come on, yes. baby. Come on. Let's I do. Go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go, Max. Oh, Leviticus 3.16. All the fat belongs to the Lord. <laughs> so the bigger I am, the more I belong to Jesus. It's the, di- should, it's the dieters just, verse. This would be a fun, fun podcast. Would be what? Going through all the 3.16s in the Bible. Oh, yeah. That would be great. There people have preached the 3.16s. Let's do it. Yeah, there, there are some great 3.16s.